here we go. This is season three of No Show. They said we couldn't make it. When I say they, we, we said we couldn't make it, but Jeff and I made it to season three, and I can't think of a better person to start off this new season than our guest today. Like few others, Brefney Noon understands how and why hotels make money, as well as how and why people decide which hotel they want to spend money on. Brefney is an associate professor at the Pennsylvania State University School of Hospitality Management, where she teaches revenue and profit optimization and data analytics. She holds a PhD in revenue management from Cornell. She focuses on revenue optimization in the restaurant, hotel, and leisure industries. And she has published over 40 research articles in academic journals and several book chapters. She is deeply involved with Hospitality Sales and Marketing Association International. And basically, every time you turn around, she's winning awards as an educator and speaking as a thought leader at conferences. She is a singer of choral music, an ardent booster of the swimming diving team for State College Area School District, and an all-around delightful person. Brefney, welcome to No Show. Thank you for that lovely introduction, and it's lovely to be here. Let's go big. Let's start big. First question. Can't think of a better person to answer this. What's the state of the union for the hotel industry as we start 2024? I'll talk about it through a consumer lens, I think. And I think that the biggest opportunity lies for companies that can truly deliver value to consumers. You know, we were lucky coming out of the pandemic that we saw that even though discretionary spending was getting cut, there was resilience in terms of spending on travel and leisure. But we also saw from various studies that were done that there is, while people are still willing to spend, they are much more cost conscious than they were before. So, you know, when I view it through a consumer lens or a consumer paradigm, what I really think is they're looking for the right value. So they're willing to spend, but you've got to give the experience back. And I think as an observer of how the industry has recovered since the pandemic, and we've had such great fortune with ADRs and so on and so forth, you know, we've had struggles with things like from an operations point, so staffing and so on. So I think what concerns me moving forward is you've got this uh, conflict where you're trying to either maintain or increase ADRs, but you've got to deliver the value, which means from an operations perspective, you, you got you to get it together. So I, I think that's where both the opportunity and the challenge lies. You know, can you deliver the value? And if you can, I think that's where the real opportunity is. Do you think hotels get that or do you think they're still playing catch up? I think there's a challenge to catch up because even when individuals realize it, you're still relying on operations to be able to deliver the staffing levels and so on to create the experience for the guests. So I think there is great awareness. It's just how do we make sure that we staff up and train in such a way that we can actually deliver those memorable experiences for people. In the teens, and probably began a little bit prior to that, luxury was becoming diluted and mm. the difference between a luxury hotel and a full service hotel was hard to tell uh, and then you saw in covid the price in luxury just doubled and tripled in some cases uh, and i think what you just described i agree that if there's a theme coming into 24 uh, for luxury right hotels to keep the pricing 
elevated at the levels that are profitable now, uh, that service standard is going to have to match the expectation. Yes. No doubt. Uh, so, Brefni, one of the uh, hottest topics of 23, resort fees. <laughs> I think we have reached kind of the end of the line here. Yeah. On this. And I, I, I can share why I think so, but who cares what I think? What do you think? Okay, so this is an interesting one. Um, I had the good fortune to speak at a um, New York chapter uh, HSMAI luncheon event. Uh, I actually co-spoke. Uh, STR was presenting. Amanda Height was presenting from STR, and she was talking about the numbers and how we're doing and the great ADRs and so on. And then my job was to talk about it from a again, kind of given my bent sometimes, you know, the consumer end and value. And one of the hot topics at that luncheon was resort fees. And, you know, one of the things that I shared with the participants at that luncheon was, you know, when I put on my revenue management hat, it makes sense. Resort fees are wonderful because they bring in all that incremental revenue with very little cost going out the other side. So there's a lot of upside to it. But the other side of it is, you know, research, marketing research has shown two things. It's shown that people don't like resort fees because they're just averse to what we call partition pricing. So that's where a price is divided like into several components, but the components can't be bought separately. So when they can't be bought separately and they've no choice but to pay all of the component pieces, they would rather pay a bundle price than pay separately. So they're already averse to partition pricing. And the other thing they're averse to is choice. They don't like not having choice. Autonomy is really important to people. So, you know, my take on that is if you are going to go ahead and you're going to stick with resort fees, you've got to think about it from the perspective of you know, how do we overcome those barriers? Well, you can't in terms of the partitioned rates, but you can with the autonomy. How do you make fees more palatable? Well, you know, can you give anybody any choice and how do you provide the value, right? So it often strikes me when I come across destination or resort fees and I kind of think, okay, when this package of amenities was being put together, first of all, are they actually amenities that people value? And if they are amenities that people actually value, like, is it particular market segments? Is there a particular persona that the amenities are that the amenities hold value for different individuals? So, you know, I would kind of I, I would challenge hotel operators if they're going to stick with these resort or destination fees to really have a hard look at them and say, okay, who exactly values the amenities that we're putting on this list? Is there any reason why you can't give people a choice? Like all you give us is a list of amenities. Very often we don't have the time. We've got an inflexible schedule. There are things that we don't like. So I think there's a few things. If they're not going away, which was your question, Jeff, are they going to be like, are they going to disappear? If they don't, you got to make them more palatable. Do they make sense? Are you giving them any choice at all? Why can't you give people a choice? Give them 10 things and let them pick five. And then the other thing is coming back to operations. And again, this is from personal experience and looking at people's reviews of properties. You give us a food and beverage credit. You've got restricted hours on F&B because you don't have the staffing for it. And then when your F&B facilities are open, the quality isn't always there. 
yet you force me to use those facilities. So if you don't have the operations to support the amenities and people don't care about them, you're going to continue to get the degree of resistance, I think, that we've had so far. There are a lot of consumers who feel like the resort fees are just an amalgamation of things that you're already throwing in the hotel just to juice your rates. Hey, well, let's put some workout machines in a room. Let's throw some bagels out in the morning, open the pool up for two hours. Uh, here you go. Here are all your amenities. And it's stuff that the property was probably already going to do anyway. But now it's an excuse for them to to kind of throw it on a list and say, see, here you go. Give us an extra 30 bucks versus just be more transparent about it. I think we're at the end of this, though, because what's happening in California or happened in California. Yeah. First up, Jeff, what exactly is going on in California? California legislators passed a bill uh, that all uh, all fees, non-government fees, must be included in the presented price for any shopping to a California consumer. So it's not just hotels in California. Uh, it's a pretty aggressive approach. So uh, essentially, it you know what Marriott and Hyatt did last year, uh, which was include those fees in the price. Uh, it's insisting that anybody selling to a Californian already do what those two are already doing. So this means essentially OTAs are going to have to join unless they decide that they can do a good enough job and it would be worth serving different prices to California IP addresses, which are the complexity of doing it, yeah. like it's, it's a pretty foolish thing to think anybody's really going to go out and try to do that. So uh, in a lot of ways, we see California do these things where uh, you legislate it in California like they did with pork or something, and it becomes national law effectively if you want access to the California market. Then uh, on top of that, Matt, you have uh, the FTC is basically running the same bill through U.S. Congress now. So what already happened in California is probably going to be national law at some point as you know the Biden administration tries to get a little easy win going into election season to say something in favor of you know, being consumer advocates. So I think there's some low-hanging fruit. You'll probably see that basically put resort fees to rest. I would anticipate by the middle of the year. Uh, personally, the frustration here, uh, this is not as a hotelier. Uh, well, I suppose it is. It's the hypocrisy that comes from the government on this, right? Uh, they demand transparency for all but themselves. So taxes and fees that are issued by a governing body are exempt from being transparent. If you have a CVB or a tourism $10 per room night, that doesn't have to be included. So, you know, the, the, approach regulators have taken to wag their finger at you know at the business side uh they haven't decided to look themselves in the mirror with such transparency uh, and that bugs the ever-loving hell out of me even with something though like marriott so when you say they have to declare it as part of the price you mean that instead of the rate being 250 plus 35 they're now advertising it as 285 that's correct. So Marriott's made that move. Hyatt's made that move. Hilton's in process of making that move. But OTAs and independent hotels, a few other smaller brands really had resisted. Don't you wonder then, so the way people look at prices online now, so let's say for those all those properties that it's listed separately, right? So you do your search and you see that Marriott's 250 yeah. and then it's really 285. 
So what happens when the legislation comes in in terms of people's reference prices? So does that mean if Marriott goes to 285, now everybody's reference prices, oh my God, well, they're way much more expensive than they were X number of months ago. I mean, obviously there's a transition period, but isn't that going to be one of the challenges then? You're you're spot on. And I think one of the challenges currently is that you've got Marriott and Hyatt that are already doing that 285 in your example, whereas the exact same hotel on Expedia is doing the 250 with the 35 hidden. So it's going to bring the rest of that market in line. This will not end up being better for the consumer. This will, they'll pay the same. The amount coming out of their wallet's going to be 285 in Brefney's example, regardless. Uh, what's going to be better is transparently upfront, yeah. right? I think that'll improve relations a lot, reduce frustration both on the operator and the consumer side of things. Uh, but I think what you'll see, Brefni, is that the 285 will stand, but the pickleball court and the breakfast and the muffins that are laid out, those will go away. We want to talk a little about surge pricing in a minute, but first, it's Penn State. You work at Penn State. So we have to talk about sports. It's mandatory. It's the law. And Jeff and I have been talking a lot recently about the NCAA's impact on local communities, especially in relation to, especially in relation to surge pricing strategies. Money, newsflash, dominates college football, but there's not a ton of research on uh, college football's overall effect on tourism, which I think is strange. Every weekend, every fall, football fans travel and tailgate, stay in hotels and eat at local restaurants. And all that money uh, comes into these local economies. And I think because it's so local, it's quite hard to see it in the aggregate, see it countrywide. On top of that, you've got you know the regionalism of collegiate sports, which is still one of the great drivers of brand loyalty. And it's the closest thing I think America has really to like a European soccer model where big and small teams have deeply emotional rivalries with competitors who essentially live just down the road. According to a 2022 study for the frankly awesomely named Happy Valley Adventure Bureau, Penn State home football games alone generate $87 million in revenue and support 4,500 jobs and bring in about 1.7 million people to the area each fall. However, Penn State, of course, is in the Big Ten, which will soon see a major tectonic shift when University of Southern California, UCLA, University of Washington, University of Oregon all join the conference. Those teams will be playing way past their old geographic borders. And I guess we're wondering, are UCLA fans going to show up and spend money the same way that Ohio State fans are in Happy Valley? First up, this is a lot of long preamble here, but first up, have you ever seen an economic measurement of the impact college football has on college towns? Not beyond the type of data that Happy Valley Valley Adventure Bureau put out last year. Um, And just to add to that, so that was direct spend and multipliers, but there is also 267 million from Penn State Intercollegiate Athletics payroll and spending that goes into the community. While there's not been any study that I know of beyond that most recent one done by Happy Valley Adventure Bureau, the impact is extremely significant. Average hotel prices tend to triple um, Mm -hmm. on football weekends in the fall. There, there must be a better study because I just saw that Travel and Leisure Company with Sports Hospitality Ventures 
was in the news. They announced last fall that they're going to introduce a new concept for a network of sports themed resorts using Sports Illustrated as the uh, as the brand. Not surprisingly, first location is going to be in Tuscaloosa. The business model here, somebody there did the kind of research that the three of us are talking about because a 150-room hotel in the Dominican uh, seems like an odd place to put one. But they also have uh, sites in Ann Arbor for University of Michigan. Uh, Orlando is going to be a big, huge hotel, four to 500 rooms under this Sports Illustrated com- concept. They're going to get eight hotels in the next five years and 20 over the next 10. So there's got to be a real market for this place. Uh, and it reminds me a bit of like the graduate hotels, right? If you Yeah, if I was going to say graduate. Excel in this marketplace to yeah. do that. Uh, you have to be great at surge pricing. You make all your money uh, for a whole year in that business. And Rafney, I don't know if you see this in uh, the restaurant side uh, in Happy Valley, but you know, hotels can make their full year's revenue. Or, or watch it go sour on the basis of about four or five weekends out of the whole year. Oh, absolutely. They rely on it. Every business does. It's not just hotels. It's restaurants. It's all the merchandising stores. Jeff made a cogent point that the Alabamas and the Penn States of the world are beyond time zones, that they're essentially national and some might argue global teams. Television money is it's what's fueling all this change. You know, we we see why this is happening, but the actual effect on the towns themselves and the regions, I think that's going to play out in unexpected ways. I think there are certain markets that are going to be sort of change proof. But then I think, you know, as we see UCLA people traveling to Pennsylvania and and vice versa, I don't know how that's going to shake out the way that it has when you could drive seven hours from Columbus, Ohio, to to be at the game and then drive back the next day. One of the things that drives our biggest games here is you spoke of rivalries at the start of the of, of the show. And, you know, you think of the rivalries, you know, uh, Michigan, Iowa State, um, Ohio State. They're the big ones, you know, like, you know, I am um, Ohio State and Michigan. We've got a nearly 107,000 capacity in our stadium. Well, they fill it up to about, that's their official capacity, but they fill it up to about 110 on those games, okay? Now, we are going to play, I believe we're going to play Ohio State this year, this coming season in 2024. So that's grand for that big game. But we're not going to play Michigan again. We've played them every year since 2012. And we're not slated to play them again until 2027. So that rivalry that brings not just the Michigan people, but it brings a bigger Penn State audience. I would wonder with that rivalry going away, it's not just looking to see the other team bring supporters. It actually has to do with the amount of supporters from Penn State that come to a game. Just to give you an idea, and you were talking about surge pricing, so that kind of ties in here. Without naming the hotel company, this is a brand, it's a select service hotel downtown, okay? On a regular weekend, so let's take, I don't know, September 21st, no, September 14th, it's a bye week, so there's no game in town. The rate is 317 at that property. The first game, opener home game is against Illinois, and they're selling at 899 right now. And then the UCLA game is October 5th. 
The lowest available rate in that property right now is $1,014 per night with a two night minimum. So because I was I am curious and I was curious and I've spoken to a few hoteliers in town. They're not quite sure. They think there's a huge novelty value with this new team coming in. And, you know, they think that it'll be a lot of Penn Staters coming back to see Penn State playing this new team on home turf. Um, but certainly the way they're pricing right now, they're pricing at the tippy top. Like we play Ohio State November 2nd. That same property is selling at $9.99 for Ohio State. And then the next weekend, which is the 9th of November, Washington again is new and they're still selling at $9.99 for them too. I think there must be a lot of faith in the market that these new teams, at least in the starting years, are going to draw in this novelty, you know, the audience from a novelty perspective. But I think I'm not sure it'll be people coming from UCLA. I think it'll be a lot of dependence on our Penn Staters coming back. Well, I think there's going to have to be some impact uh, just because of the transportation. Once that novelty effect that I think you're yes. right, once that wears off the flights, you know, you're going to have Oregon. Uh, mm-hmm. and Penn State in the same conference. Mm-hmm. And you know, flights from University Park Airport to and from Eugene, Oregon, are not going to make you know that a sustainable right. uh, triple for, for both, for either group. No, I tell you what, Jeff, the way I see it is that, you know, the home games, and I think about it from a home game perspective, because this is the economy I'm in, I think we'll benefit with that, definitely with that novelty effect. I think we're going to be able to, like, they're, they're obviously expecting it in town if they're selling at over $1,000 a night for a select service property. But I think you're absolutely right. The feasibility of people traveling across the country when they're in a, in a, in a community that is serviced by an airport that does not have direct flights. It's almost as if college towns um, were pioneers in the idea of surge pricing. Going yeah. back to when Sherry Kimes started doing research on revenue management practices, you know, what we found was, what she found back in the day, and this applies to hotels, restaurants, and so on, once people become familiar with the practice, mm-hmm. they're much more accepting of it and much more willing to pay. Yeah. And you see that in our town. Everybody knows you could come in on a no-name Saturday in October and pay $300, and then you'll come in on a football weekend and be forced into a two-night minimum with a $1,000 rate per night. And they're filling the hotels because familiarity, once it's there, people are willing to pay the prices. And don't forget as well, the stadiums are also using like demand-based pricing in terms of um, – and variable pricing in terms of, you know, sections within the stadium, you're paying X amount to sit in the zone at the 50 yard line and you're paying something else for the nosebleeds. And then we also do variable pricing on parking here, too, depending on what section you're in around campus, because there's so many parking sections, you're paying something different. So everybody's accustomed to it. So you don't see, you know, when I say you don't see resistance you're still filling hotel rooms, you're still filling restaurants, you're still mm-hmm. filling Airbnb um, and VBRO properties, and you're still filling the parking lots and the stadium. You mentioned the Airbnb and VBRO. Uh, yeah. The Sports Illustrated Resorts announcement uh, said that they're going to get into, because there is great demand for 
uh, branded residential units that are not in the luxury class because that's where yeah. most of the you know the, the Ritz Carlton residences, the Four Seasons residences, right? Uh, you don't see a ton of that product uh, down market, if you will. But exactly what you're talking about uh, is a main component of this new business model with Sports Illustrated Resorts. You see people in college towns, especially who are property owners, and they plan to go back to their alma mater three, four, five times a year. Yeah. Uh, but if they can use those weekends with the big games, with parents weekend, with uh, with graduation weekend, if they can park that inventory three or four weekends a year on the big surge prices on the market, they can cover their mortgage for an entire year on that vacation. Yeah. yeah. Brett, it's time for the mystery question. <gasps> That's right. It is scary. Can you enjoy a hotel experience? Or is it the case when you walk in a hotel lobby, your Terminator scanner comes on and you start looking for inefficiencies and optimizations everywhere until checkout? Oh, God, I do. I just can't sometimes switch off. It's I just can't sometimes. And I see stuff that just bugs the living daylight out of me. Um, I've gotten better. Do you ever have hotel people kind of talk down to you a little bit? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll go up and I'll just, you know, act like my little Joe blog, say my little piece. And then they do the, oh, my God, you know, you've no clue. And they talk down to you. And then I throw in a few little terms to indicate that there's a good chance that I know what I'm talking about. And then they sometimes change their tone. But um, yeah, it's sometimes like the amount of times now I've rung a general manager after I've stayed somewhere because sometimes I'd be too irritated to say something when I'm there. And I leave and I'll ring them and I'll say, I'm just letting you know X, Y and Z goes on. You know, this is what's happening at your property. I just wanted you to know that I've already paid, not looking for any freebies, not looking for anything. I'm just saying if this was my property, would not be I would not be happy with it. Dr. Noon, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It was great. 